Love Talk Radio. Another sports tonight. This got back from the hospital. A dear friend of mine had a little bit of heart problems right now, guys. So I'm sorry I'm running late. And I'd like to welcome our, our guest as always, Philadelphia legend, Mr. Don Henderson. And as I try to find my car here, Roger Handler, 
Thank you, Roy Cummings, and thank you, for always spending the dollar. Gentlemen, good evening. Good to be with you, Tommy, as always. Thank you, sir. I gotta find my car here. I just, a friend of mine has had a, some surgery and very bad shape right now, so I had to go up the emergency ward at Oakville Hospital, one of the finest hospitals in the Tampa Bay area here. So, so don't mind me, guys. Okay. <laughs> Well, we, obviously, anytime anyone's ill that's uh, is friend of somebody on the program, we send all our sympathy and best wishes at yes. it any time. And, of course, oh, a big show tonight, nice. Tommy. Uh, and I know Roy Cummings is in the perfect spot. He covered John Gruden for all the years yes. he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's in the ring of the Circle of Fame, and uh, they put yes, him in sir. a couple of years ago. And he's been the big story in the National Football League the last couple of years. Oh, gosh. The last yes. couple of, uh, of weeks and days. Uh, Roy, you talked about it, uh, I want to say, two weeks ago. I guess I have to really congratulate you uh, because you said John Gruden's in a great spot if he doesn't defeat himself. Well, it doesn't seem that he listened to your advice. He defeated <laughs> himself, Roy. Yeah, he really did, guys. Uh, you know, I've been asked a lot of a lot of questions about John Gruden over the last 48 hours, and uh, you know the biggest question I, I think that I the question I think I get repeatedly asked is, um, you know, are you surprised by this? And I, and I have to say that I'm I'm not really surprised, and um, you know, it, it's it's disappointing. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that I that I knew John Gruden, John Gruden was racist or misogynistic or you know, capable of these kind of things. Um, I just, I just never really measured the character of the man to be above, above something like this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm quite disappointed to be honest. I mean, I, I thought he was a smarter guy than this. I thought he realized that as a head coach of an NFL football team, right? You know, these are things that you know, you, you can't have this kind of these kind of character flaws, in my opinion. Um, exactly. You know, you, you're supposed to be a guy who brings people together from all different cultures and backgrounds and you know diversity should be uh something you champion throughout your locker room no matter what the person is whatever their physical makeup is whatever their you know race religion might be uh whatever their sexual orientation is none of that stuff should matter and you know what in a way it didn't to john gruden because john gruden didn't care as much about people as he did about winning and i think that's where the problem comes in is you know, when it's all about winning for you and you don't take time to think, well, how does what I say or my actions or my, you know, what I say, what I do, you know, how does this really affect someone? Right. Uh, you end up, uh, you know, going down a, a dark path sometimes, and I think that's what's happened here. Oh, boy. You know, Larry, you get back, it's such a shame, you know, because when John here was in Tampa, he was from a town called his mom from Sandusky, Ohio. So I, I, I went I down and Talked to Jonathan, like, I got something for you. It says, Stitching of the ferry went from Sandusky to Cedarport to Music Park up there. And, you know, John appreciates that so much. And every Wednesday, we always have lunch together up there. Just not talk. <laughs> we're talking about football, Tommy. So now I just want to talk about what's going on life in January. So that was a couple of raised games up there. And that, and I just feel so bad for John and his family right now. Because John, John, deep inside, John Bruins is a great man. I, I got to know him quite well in Tampa. And when we used to have our lunchy, just have our Wednesdays lunches and that, and we always oh, yeah. talked over everything under the sun. So I feel bad for John, and my prayers go out to John Gruden right now. 
Well, I don't feel bad for John Gruden. He did this to himself, um, and he did this over a long period of time. This is a measure of the man, and it doesn't measure, he doesn't measure up very well in this situation. Uh, so I certainly don't feel sorry for him in any way. Um, you know, he had the world by the, the NFL, the football world by the tail, and uh, and he, he, he took, you know, control in, in a bad way in this way. But, you know, I'll say this. Right. One thing John Gruden said in his statement, and he reiterated this to uh, Catherine Smith of Bay News 9 here in Tampa, who uh, worked with me on the beat covering John Gruden. She reached yes. out to him recently, you know, after this. And he said, look, I never meant to hurt anybody. And I, and I think that's true. I mean, if I'm going to give John Gruden any, you know, any solace in this, or, you know, the fact that he that he says, you know, I didn't mean to hurt anyone. I believe him in that. I, I don't think he was. Right. I don't think he meant to to be mean spirited here. Um, he's just he's just an ignorant man, and mm-hmm. there, you know, to me, ignorance is a sin. Um, right. And I'm not mean. I don't mean that biblically, but I mean it's just it's to me, ignorance is a, as bad a sin as you can commit. And he's he's guilty of being ignorant and and not being smarter. Maybe this will wake him up and he'll become a better person for this. But I don't feel sorry for him. I, I'm not sure that he's that good of a person um, because that good of a person doesn't do this to begin with. So um, it's unfortunate, but uh, they'll certainly dominate the news headlines in the NFL for a while. They love drama. Oh, right. and they've got it now. Yeah, I got some the inside John Gruden up there. Excuse me, Roger. I get to know the inside of John Gruden when he's with the Bucks in the Wednesday lunch dates, and I met his family. And then, you know, he's a great family man. He still is a great family man. I just feel bad that bad that this happened to John. I mean, John was a friend of mine. He always was at the Affleck Bowl signing party since Tommy Heidepen that was going on. You know, when he met for lunch and then. And I, you Tommy, know, I you know, it's for, great. Tommy, it's great that he said hello to you and spent time talking to you and all that. I I, I appreciate that. You keep saying, you know, I feel bad that this happened to John Gruden. Boy, Nothing happened to John Gruden. John Gruden right. did this to himself. John Gruden is the one who right. typed in the messages. They came from some part of his soul, uh, wherever it was. And, and it's not like he did it one time and, and that was it. We're talking about homophobic, misogynistic, anti-gay slurs, uh, oh, you know, home, racist comments. I'm not sure, Tommy. Have you read what he what he wrote? I mean, and we've 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 really just seen the tip of the iceberg here. We've seen three or four. Oh, boy, right. We haven't seen and everything else. And it keeps else. on coming, Roy. No. Keeps on. Yeah, coming. and it's going to keep um, on what, coming. Yeah. What what I was going to say a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, when this first surfaced over the weekend, uh, Sunday night, Mike Tarico made a very strong supportive station a statement. Of uh, John, you probably saw it on the uh, pregame show on NBC that he said he worked with him for seven years doing Sunday uh, Monday night football, and he never saw a ounce of him uh, prejudiced or uh, one way or another, you know, anti-race, a, a racial uh, mm-hmm. issue. Uh, and and so I mean I respect uh, Mike Tarico. I think a lot of the things that I've read that he said or he uh, he put in emails I should say right. is what a lot of people thinks but they don't say. I'm not saying everything, but that there's mm-hmm. a lot of people in this world that would think of the things but they're not going to say it. Listen, mm-hmm. I'm not a fan, and everybody knows it of Demora Smith. From the day of his first press conference 
at a Super Bowl when he became the executive director. I personally thought he was like a snake oil salesman, but mm-hmm. that's my opinion, okay? But it's not mm-hmm. racial or anything. No. It's just the way I, uh, I interpreted, the way he presented everything, and I was mm-hmm. not alone. There were other reporters in there. They didn't know this guy. And, you know, and I'm a friend of Troy Vincent, and we thought Troy right. was going to uh, be the head of the uh, of the union, okay? Right. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with that. It was the guy. But the other thing is, in Philadelphia, when Gruden and Don knows this, he was close to it, when uh, Roy, Ray Rhodes took over as head coach, he brought a no-name guy, John Gruden, as his offensive coordinator. Right. There are mm-hmm. reporters now that said they saw, and also that Jeffrey Lurie, they thought they were going to may hire him as the Eagles head coach. Never had a, mm-hmm. a, a never a, a even thought about John Gruden as head coach. Wow. So there's a wow. lot of things about John Gruden that go back many years that people saw on him a long time ago. Right. Uh, but Roger, I'm saying I'm saying John Gruden the person I got to know personally, and he didn't say well, anything. Well, I know. I so did a lot of people, Tommy. <laughs> a lot of people got to know him personally. Right. Right. Tommy, I spent Tommy, I spent seven years covering the guy. I got to know him right. personally too. And like Roger, I never saw this in him. I never saw right. any anything to suggest that he's uh, right. racist, misogynistic, mm-hmm. or. Uh, and, and homophobic the way he is right. and, mm-hmm. and you know what deep down in his soul Maybe he's not like I said you know he said he never Meant to hurt anybody maybe maybe I don't know I, I don't know The circumstances under which he He wrote these emails all I know is He wrote them and he wrote a lot of them And oh, to boy. me that that speaks To the character of the man yes. I can tell you guys I would not Write such an email I would I don't Have such feelings in my heart I'm with you If he Absolutely. does uh, You know that he's, he's, he's got some work to do with his character. And, uh, you know, whether he gets that chance or not, who knows? Um, my guess is he could probably come back from this if he uh, gets some counseling, does some, uh, some serious, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, work in terms of, you know, trying to promote uh, inclusion of people and uh, right. you know, promote the, mm-hmm. you know, the agendas of, uh, you know, these people. I, I don't know, but right now, Again. Roy, let me let me turn the page for a second, Roy, and, and well, everybody, uh, and let's, let's take a look at it this way: the National Football League, and, and uh, certainly what happened in Vegas, and the suspension, and his you know voluntary retirement uh, because of the things he did. Uh, you know, the National Football League, uh, the chances of coming back as a head coach, I think, are slim or none. Uh, the chance of being on ESPN again as a major figure as he was for so many years, <clears throat> I think are slimmer on because ESPN mm-hmm. is being challenged at every porthole right now with what they're doing with women, what they're doing with blacks, what they're doing with minorities. Right. So I think mm-hmm. he has no chance to go there. And yet at the same time, and uh, Doug Miles wrote a little email to me today, which I think made a lot of sense. The National Football League and the commissioner, Put this crap in the Super Bowl, the same kinds of things that we're talking about here, women, sex, everything else. That's all right to do it on the Super Bowl. But now you're going right. to ostracize this guy. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm just saying this is what's going to happen to him. And then you're going to turn around on Super Bowl day and tell me what a great 
halftime show we have with every moralistic nut in, in the in the show. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I see where you're Amen. coming from, Don. You're not the first person to mention that, and and there's a lot of people who will probably suggest that there is a double standard here. The difference is this, though, I think, and and it, look, I. I don't know. I can't name who's going to be in the Super Bowl halftime show. I, I, I heard the news about who it's going to be, but I don't recognize the names that well, so I'm not sure who it is. I don't know what their work, you know, what their body of work entails. You know, I've, I've heard people suggest that you know there's potentially certainly racist comments, homophobic, uh, maybe even misogynistic mm. as well in in their work. I understand that. The difference, guys, is that the Super Bowl halftime show is designed to draw people from outside the NFL circle. It's designed to, to entertain not even the casual football fan, but a completely different uh, group of people, people who never watch a football game. It's designed but that, but to does that people. make it right? No, I'm not saying right. it's right or wrong. No. I'm, what I'm saying is the difference is that's, that's an entertainment entity designed to draw a completely different audience. What John Gruden is is a member of the NFL. He is a face of the of the league. He is supposed to represent that shield. No one suggests or should suggest that the halftime, whoever it is that's doing the halftime show at the Super Bowl represents the NFL shield. It's right. completely different for one of your head coaches and someone whose name is on, uh, you know, who's promoting the league, through, you know, throughout his work and things like that. It's completely different, completely different. And the league – and by the way – Wait a minute, your, your commissioner is – he's the one that's promoting this. I agree with you. It's a different – you can separate the two. One is entertainment, one is football. But the, right. the commissioner of the National Football League, under whatever the uh, group of people are that make the decisions, about, he's the one that's authorizing this kind of stuff to be mm-hmm. put on at halftime. Yeah, and he's the guy, he's the league. I mean, he is I get the it. league. I get it. It's a, but it's not the NFL. This is, what is it? It's their show, but his 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 job is to make money for the owner. And as that as in that job, he's got to get he's got to draw the most advertising dollars he can for mm-hmm. everything, and including the halftime show. And if you right. go and put um, up with people out there, or Creedence Clearwater Revival, which I'd love. You're going to have a much smaller audience than you're going to get if you bring on the most popular, uh, you know, entertainment act that you've got out there right now. And so it's all about advertising dollars. I and I mm-hmm. understand exactly what you're saying, but the difference is at the end of the day, those people do not represent the NFL. They're right. going to be a halftime show during an NFL uh, game, but they game. don't represent the league. And and, it's, and no. you can't have people in your league who think and talk and email this way. You can't have that uh, if you're going to continue to survive uh, at, at a time when, uh, you know, the world is changing and people are going to have to be more accepting of uh, people who are different than them. Well, I got my piece, right. so I'll let the rest of you guys and we'll change the subject. Go ahead, Roger. <laughs> no, I was just going to say right? a lot of comparisons have been made, and I'll make a couple, uh, to some of the uh, players on what they've been through. For instance, we talked about this last week. Josh Gordon, what does he have? Five suspensions, drugs, this, that, the other mm-hmm. thing. And Andy, uh, Andy Reid brings them into the, back into the uh, fold. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Michael Vick, who I totally am supportive of, and Jeffrey Lurie and Andy giving him a, a second chance, he went to jail for, what, two years for what he did. But wow. John Gruden's not going to go to jail, I don't think, for what he did, even though I totally disagree with it. But I mm-hmm. agree with you, Roy, that he will not probably, and Don, you're, and you're not, he's not going to get another coaching job. But I disagree with you, Roy, about the halftime show. Yes, it's an entity in itself, but it represents the National Football League because they are the ones that are approving it. It's the commissioner Mm -hmm. approving it. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of trash. I I saw the people that are going to be on here. If you watch these other shows that they're on, and that's a family uh, time. It should be a nice show that represents the Shield, the National mm-hmm. Football League. It's a bunch of crap. It's something I mm-hmm. refuse to watch. I'm in a different mm-hmm. age group. Don's in a different age group. But I want to tell you, you can have a good show and not have trash. Exactly. Well, why don't we wait and see what they, what they do in their show before mm-hmm. we start criticizing it? We don't even know what, what – Songs they're going to play, what we know the, the way they look do like, it. how they're they going to dress. They, know what the, they have a history, Roy. They have a history. Go okay, well, that doesn't to... mean – look, Paul McCartney had a history of being busted for drugs and taking LSD and, right, and things yeah. like that. If you put Paul McCartney up there right now, you know, our generation would, would be championing it. You know, right. but it doesn't make – erase the fact that, you know, the guy had some issues, got arrested a couple of times for things, mm-hmm. you know, so – at the end of the day, let's wait and see what the halftime show looks like, sounds right. like, uh, before we start, you know, being critical. Look, I understand that what they basically, and I, again, I don't know, I can't name one of the artists, much less name any of their lyrics or, or tell you what they look like. And, and I'm not going to judge anybody necessarily by what they look like. Um, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you you could put a lot of people out there and. and that you know this is a, a little bit too risque or racy or whatever mm-hmm. you, however right. you want to call it for for family uh, TV mm-hmm. at nine o'clock at night. But uh, let's wait and see what happens here. So uh, you know I'm not going to judge the halftime show just yet. And no. if you can't tell me if you can't give me a lyric right now that you find horribly offensive, misogynistic, homophobic, or racist, well then let's not start. You know, beating up on the on the halftime show just yet. Sure, yeah. John Gruden, again, John Gruden did this to himself, guys. This has nothing to do with the halftime show. Exactly. No, I agree with you there, Roy, 100%. But I think it's a broad brush. you gotta you got to look at the National Football League. You take the isolation of John Gruden and what he did to himself, you're 100% correct. But I think that it's right. been something that's been – going on now for quite you know, all the way back to the early days of the Super Bowl when they made the transition into some of these people that they put on. And it's mm-hmm. continued and continued and continued. I don't mean to say it was just Janet Jackson or her brother or anybody, but it's been continuing with one worse show than the next in terms of how the, how the younger generation are looking at a halftime show because it's very sexually – to me, it's very sexually uh, involved, and, and also uh, this makes me feel a little uneasy if I have the kids there watching the show look at it. They don't even notice it, I guess, but I do. And uh, So let's go to a different topic. So pick some belts out, Roger. Hockey, 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 oh, hockey. Well, let's talk, let's 
talk about baseball since uh, baseball. the Rays got we... knocked off, and let's talk about that. How about hockey? We opened up the Stanley Cup championship with it. Last night, the Emily yet. Arena. Let's wait, Tommy, until yeah, something happens. Yeah, they look like the 32nd worst the team in the league, Tommy. Not a, not a good start for the Lightning there. But, uh, but yeah, let's, let's talk about baseball. As a play. I mean, you guys show sure. the question, Tommy. I got about, you know, five, six more minutes here. So you guys tell me what you want to, what you want to talk about. It's all up to you. Well, it's a shame that you know, the Rays got Bucks knocked out, Eagles I think. Game tomorrow night. We do have a big Bucks Eagles well, game tomorrow night. You may have uh, other a, guests that's, coming in to talk about that. That's, that fly game will be fly. over before it starts. <laughs> well, oh, you know what? Fly Eagles fly, guys. Look, well, I, I just feel badly, the- to be honest with you, that the Rays got knocked out. Uh, they had the best record in all of baseball throughout the course of right. the year. It's not unusual when you have a playoff system to have something like this happen. But uh, Tampa Bay has been so successful over the mm-hmm. last few years, the championship city and all the rest, and the fact that they were able to maintain during the course of the year and, and come up with, uh, you know, the best record in the, in the American League East and consistently yep. play well, and then to go into the playoffs and, uh, you know, just not get it done. I thought that was very disappointing. Yeah, well, Boston's guys. playing good. What was that, Tom? Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. okay. I say Boston could beat the Yankees. That was a one-game series, and Boston had the momentum from beating the Orchard Island New York Yankees. And when you go into that series against Tampa Bay, I mean, Boston had everything to play for because look what happened, you know. I mean, Boston had everything going right. That one call was terrible, but what can you do? Well, you know, the Rays had a lot going for them, too. Um, You know, they they got Mm -hmm. a day off uh, or a couple days off that the the Red Sox didn't get, so – and right. the problem became, guys, that the Rays pitching did not hold up. And Correct. maybe we mm-hmm. shouldn't be surprised because, you know, it, to me it's a miracle that they won 100 games yep. considering the pitching staff and the mm-hmm. way it was basically taken apart by ownership uh, yep. and management. Uh, when, you, when you let guys like Blake Snell and Charlie Morton go and you replace yep. them with the Michael Walkers of the world and even right. let a guy like Rich Hill go in the middle of the season yep. – and you start exactly. leaning on, you know, young rookies like Colin McHugh and Shane McClanahan. Right. Look, right. these guys may be up-and-coming young pitchers, but, you know, there's only so much, you know, I, you don't expect them to, you know, come out and be, you know, World beaters. Cy young candidates out of the box. And it's sooner or later right. that kind of thing is going to catch up to you. And I think right. that's what happened here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they didn't get a couple of a couple of hitters didn't quite come through for him. Brandon Lau right. uh, didn't mm-hmm. necessarily do the job. Milton Cruz, maybe we figured out through the Rays why the Minnesota Twins let him go uh, yep. finally. But to me, the biggest issue was the Rays pitching just was nowhere near as strong as uh, you know it was it was throughout the course of the season. And I think the way they built their pitching staff and and allowed you know their, their decision not to pay higher dollars for players finally caught up to them. Sooner or later, it's mm-hmm. going to catch up to you if you're not going to pay for right. the better players. And uh, mm-hmm. You can't just keep leaning on kids and expect them to carry all the time. Exactly. I think that's what happened. Well, that's said, Roger, let's talk about some of the other series going on, some of the pluses and minuses, because there's been well, a lot of great – there's been some great, great games. You know what, uh, Don? We also have Dan Baker on with us right now. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Roger and Don and Frank, how are you? Everything's good. Hey, Dan, how are you doing? Everything is great. Well, I, 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 
Yeah, absolutely. Roy, I don't know if you're uh, aware of Dan. He's the senior uh, public address announcer in Major League Baseball. Just completed his 49th season with the Phillies. Oh, and, congratulations. Uh, Hi, Roy. How are yeah. you? Good. By Dan, the way, uh, the, the last, the final Jeopardy question tonight, this is really amazing, was a Joey, a Yogi Berra-ism. Okay? And and. I'm watching Jeopardy, and the fight, we're talking baseball, and the the answer was Yogi Berra. The record won't be broken until it's broken. How <laughs> 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 true. So, ben, uh, but, this yeah. is the time when I usually but, bow Roy, out, before so you, I will. Uh, yeah, but I'm Roy, to Roy I wanted to get, real quick, before you leave, yeah. I, wanted to, uh, okay. I, I wanted to get you. What's your prediction on who will be in the World Series? Well, I guess, boy, um, oh man, it's 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 to me it's it's quite a tough call. Um, I mean, we still don't have a, a champion. The National League still don't know if the Giants or the Dodgers is going to go and take on Atlanta. Um, I, I guess I get a feel. I get the feeling it's going to be San Francisco, and I think Tommy might be onto something as far as the Red Sox. Uh, they seem to be pretty strong right now, so I'll I'll go with the Red Sox and uh, and the Giants. I think that'll be a great series. Should be. Right, Parker, hey, thank yo. you very much as always. Have a great go get week, your dinner. Boy. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Have a great week. Thanks, Thanks guys. Well, Dan, it's great to have you back, Dan. And after yes. uh, the, the uh, Phillies, eighty-one games at Citizens Bank Park, and uh, how are you feeling, and uh, how did everything go uh, during the season for you? Well, professionally, it went very well. Uh, we were hoping that, that the Phillies could make the postseason, so uh, that was a little disappointing. They did have a winning record, and so hopefully they're pointed in the right direction. Yes. Well, I'm sort of hopeful that the next couple of weeks we could have Larry uh, Larry Bow on with us. He's always been so yeah. good on the show, and uh, he and Charlie, of course, are having a lot of fun on that show that they're doing on TV on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And uh, he can sort of give us a thumbnail sketch of what's happening. Uh, we're only looking on from the periphery, Dan, of what the Phillies have at minor league levels from A all the way up. Uh, we have really no idea. Uh, everybody says the Philly system is not very good. Uh, but uh, as you indicated, they are—they did wind up what two games over 500. Uh, they lost out again for the playoffs for the longest you know period of time. Uh, yeah. All we can do is hope for the best, I guess. Yes. Uh, well, I think uh, Dave Dombrowski is going to make a difference. Um, he's made a difference at just about every stop where he's been, and. Uh, He's already made a few changes, uh, replacing the farm director, you know, player development guy. And uh, I know uh, owner, uh, general managing partner, John Middleton, and uh, others feel that uh, for the Phillies to be competitive over the long haul, they're going to have to draft and develop uh, the majority of their players. And that, that has not been a strength, uh, you know, over the last decade. And uh, and that's why they have missed the playoffs uh, for the last 10 years. Um, 
but hopefully they can get back on track. Uh, they, I mean, there have been successful periods in the Phillies' history, uh, late 60s and early 70s, and, you know, drafting Mike Schmidt and Greg Luzinski and, uh, of course, Larry Boa, late 60s, and Bob Boone and uh, a, a lot of terrific players that were the foundation for three straight uh, NL East uh, Division champions, uh, 76, 77, 78, winning over 100 games in both 76 and 77, 101 each. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, eventual World Series champions. And, of course, they along the way acquired Gary Maddox and Bake McBride and Pete Rose. And uh, Paul Owens did just a terrific job, uh, not only of bringing along good young people, after all, Keith Moylan and Lonnie Smith, uh, you know, a couple of rookies were integral parts of that 1980 Phillies World Championship team, the first in the Phillies history. And then later on, of course, uh, in the uh, second great period of, uh, of Phillies uh, history, uh, the uh, 2007 through 2011 uh, NL East champions, uh, with uh, Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and Jimmy Rollins and Cole Hamels and, you know, Rule 5 draft signee uh, Shane Victorino and uh, free agent pickup Jason Wirth. I mean, what a, a great nucleus that was. You know, I think Dave Dombrowski and Pat Gillick uh, put together the final pieces for that 2008 World Series championship team and then he was replaced. Uh, he retired, and uh, Ruben Amaro Jr. was named GM going forward uh, after that year. And uh, uh, you know, I thought Ruben did a real good job. And you know, this is a competitive, uh, you know, National League, and uh, there's a lot of good teams out there right now. So, um, but I, I have a, a lot of faith that the Phillies are, are uh, heading in the right direction. Uh, Dan, welcome aboard, sir. It's always a pleasure and honor to have you on board, sir. But I, I remember that, I remember that 2008 World Series when they played the Rays, and, and yes. I, you know, I went up to Charlie Manuel and I says, first thing coming out of his mouth, he says, "Tommy, how's your golf game going?" I said, "Well, it's got non-existence. I'm right here watching you guys hit batting practice." <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's good. But Dan, you're you're, you're such a great Asset for baseball, and, and hear that magical voice again. I just, I just, I just thoroughly enjoyed my, my years in Philadelphia. Listen to you on, in the PA, and that, and it's a, uh, it's a late yo-yo when you got that, 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 that. Roger, uh, and you, <laughs> well, Dan, uh, I know you had a, a great season with Greg Luzinski on the Bull Session again. And uh, it's, it's always good. You know, what's hard to believe, I was telling Dan, uh, Don and I were talking about it, that uh, Greg's grandson, Jax, is already out of West Point. Seems like yeah. yesterday he was starting at West Point, right? And, yeah. Uh, uh, and is, is he stationed in the States or is he overseas, do you know? I, I want to say he's in Oklahoma. Uh, oh, I think okay. that's what Greg told okay. me. Uh, and uh, you know that's that's uh, certainly a great point of pride when you can look at a 
son or a grandson. Of course, uh, Greg's very proud of his son, Ryan. Of course, he has a daughter, Kim, as well, he and Jean. Um, and uh, Ryan is Jack's uh, dad. And, uh, right. you know, he's very, very proud of that accomplishment. Uh, you know, a West Point graduate. And, uh, you know, I wish the young man a lot of luck. And, uh, you know, when, you can, when you're a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy or the U.S. Naval Academy or Air Force, I mean, you know, you've got a, a great foundation. Well, you're a little well, bit absolutely. closer to it than most because you broadcast your games, Dan, for quite a bit of time. And uh, so you've been to the academy, to West Point, uh, many, many times. Yeah. And, of course, been to the Army-Navy yeah. game as well. And, uh, yes. Yeah. And also, the Phillies had an assistant general manager whose son went to Annapolis, and then he went down to Houston to become the GM down there. So the Phillies have a little bit of a history with uh, personnel going into either the military academy or to, to uh uh, into the Navy. You know, Don, I wanted, uh, they do. Uh, I wanted to let you know, Don, that a couple of weeks ago I had the privilege of attending the Temple Athletics Hall of Fame dinner. And uh, right. among this year's uh, inductees were Bill Bradshaw, former athletic director, uh, not only for Temple, but also LaSalle, two tourism right. duties, and DePaul. Um, Joe Morelli, uh, Merv Jones, uh, Don, the uh, longtime PA announcer. Unfortunately, Merv passed away last year. Uh, that's really a shame. And uh, a person that uh, uh, Roger and I are very familiar with, uh, Bob Mizia, who graduated in 76 right. and played on some of those great Wayne Harden coach teams. And, and uh, you know, uh, in 75 and 76, Bobby was a terrific defensive back, and uh, they lost uh, those uh, the teams of uh, Wayne Harden in 1975 and 1976. Lost to Penn State each year by one point. Also, we could uh, throw the name of Al Schreier in, Dan, because he was the one that really orchestrated that for so many years. Such a big part of the Temple University program, and. Uh, uh, we used to kid out a lot about the suitcase and all the rest of it, but uh, <laughs> his heart and soul was right there with the Temple Owls and the university. And uh, that uh, Hall of Fame dinner, uh, year after year, uh, he, he really uh, took care of that and, and just a terrific job. Uh, Unfortunately, Larry he passed Doherty, away. Yeah, Larry Doherty, uh, who uh, uh, was groomed by Al Schreier for the position, is now serving. Uh, with great distinction in that role, John. And uh, I sat, uh, my wife Kathy and I sat at a table with John Baum, of course. Uh, um, great guy. Who's, oh, yeah, uh, worked with him for a lot of years. Yeah, one of the great players in the Temple basketball history. I was in Madison Square Garden when John led the Owls to the 1969 NIT championship over Boston College. Right. Mm. But, you know, Dan, when you brought up Joe Morelli, and he was the quarterback yes. at Temple when I was at Temple. I think he was a year ahead ahead of me because uh, Mark Lichtenfeld, yeah. he was a class of 60, then he was two years, because Mark Lichtenfeld uh, was the, became the quarterback at Temple. And he and I were at a uh, – he went up for Derby. Of course, they were our arch rival when I was at yeah. Aberford. 
and and Mark and I became friends because we went to a speed reading class uh, for six weeks at Drexel together. And okay. he was like when we played the uh, for the university championship in in uh, rough touch. Uh, for I was with you know ROTC against the university or against the uh, uh, the uh, uh, champions of the fraternity, the fraternity champions. Mark was out there cheering us on, and I'll never forget that because their season was over. But uh, Joe Morelli was a great guy. Didn't he continue with Temple in an administration role for many years? Yes, and he still is. Uh... Involved oh, with uh, athletic development, fundraising, and uh, mm-hmm. he's a great ambassador of the university. And uh, I believe that Joe graduated high school in the Scranton area, uh, and uh, of course came down to Temple. Uh, and uh, really, uh, that was uh, was on its way back. Then I believe George Macris, remember him? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he he was the coach that when Joe was there, I believe. And uh yeah, he was. And that's when Bill Cosby was there too. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. guy that uh, doesn't really get as much mention as he should. I uh, worked with him for a lot of but uh, you go way back uh, and of course we all go way back. Uh, you know, Pappy Norman, Pappy was such a great guy. Oh. You talked about uh, Baum and his contribution yeah. in the uh, NIT. Happy Norman yeah. sort of—he was the forerunner in the NIT in the NIT tournament. If I'm not mistaken, he was leading rebounder uh, when they won the championship. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Dan. Uh, Jay Norman went to two NCAA Final Fours uh, with uh, the Temple Owls uh, with uh, Guy Rogers, right? Fifty-six and fifty-eight, and. Uh, of course, in, in 58, in the national semifinal, they lost to Kentucky by one at Freedom Hall right. in Louisville. And uh, they won the third-place game over uh, Kansas State. Uh, and that 1956 Owls team, the backcourt was one of the greatest ever in NCAA history, Guy Rogers and Hal Lear. Correct. Uh, and Jay Norman was the starting forward on both of those teams, 56 Correct. and 58, and I believe the leading rebounder. I'll In tell you, Guy Rogers was a wonderful was guy, too. Uh, I didn't know how he oh, as well, yeah. but we really got to know Guy Rogers. He went out to the West Coast, obviously, lived yeah. to, at the end of his life, and we went out there to play UCLA and had a great chance to visit uh, uh, with Guy Rogers after not uh, seeing for such a long period of time. Not only a great player, but uh, just a great person. Well, absolutely. Well, that, that, uh, that 58 team, I, know, I was just going to say, I think the center was Tink Van Patten and wasn't one of the other players, Chester. Mel Brodsky, is that? Yeah, right. Mel Brodsky. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mel Brodsky. Yes, that's right. Very good shooter. Um, boy, that, that was a good team. Uh, you, know, the, you know, both mm-hmm. of those teams, well, let's face it, you know, to get to uh, the NCAA Final Four, right. um, you know, that, that's quite an achievement. Dan, I think one of the things that, and uh, you know this better than any, you were commissioner of the Big Five. Uh, uh, the Big Five has gone through so many cycles. Right now it's all Villanova. Mm-hmm. There's no question Villanova yes. is by far the best team in the city of Philadelphia and one of the best teams in the country year in and year out. Uh, mm-hmm. Temple is struggling right now. Uh, LaSalle, uh, St. Joe's the same thing. 
Uh, a lot of people across the country that are listening to us right now don't really understand what the Big Five was all about. And uh, it was one of the most competitive groups of schools uh, ever put together, and the format they had was fantastic. You were a big part of it. And uh, unfortunately, it's only Villanova right now. Well, um, there's. Uh, I know one of the current uh, streaks that the Big Five points to with uh, great pride is I forget how many years in a row, it's been a, like a long, long time, that uh, somebody from the Big Five has been to the NCAA tournament every year. Right. And uh, uh, just about every team in the Big Five has been to the NCAA Final Final Four, um, you know, with, uh, down through the years. Uh, uh, and right now, John, as you point out correctly, uh, Villanova is uh, uh, the top team in the Big Five and has been for a while. Uh, Jay Wright uh, having a lot to do with that. He's done a brilliant job. Just went into the Hall of Fame. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's uh, in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, you know, I, ha- I have to tell you, gentlemen, uh, all of you, that never in my life until now have I been in an environment where the number one college football team in the country is in this area. <laughs> and you become mm-hmm. a Georgia dog fan, let me tell you. But Dan, Don, you know, Tommy and Frank, I have to tell you, when you look at a Division One Southeast Conference team and you see the administration of their booster, athletic booster club, it's like a corporation. Mm-hmm. I mean, to tell you, it's so much different than what we're all used to, you know, from there. Well, Dan, I think you could touch us. Tom LeMaine is ready to join us here in just a second, but uh, you can touch on this. It, uh, the programs, uh, you know, when Dr. Jack Ramsey was there and go right straight through each one of the schools with different coaches, uh, you know, facilities and things didn't have as much impact on whether you were going to go from Philadelphia or Chicago or Detroit or something and come to one of the schools. Now, of course, as you're saying, Roger, when you talk about the SEC, uh, you know, you, you don't have those kinds of chances anymore if you're coaching at St. Joe. No. It's, it's really tough. Uh you know, uh, when those years, you know, the schools were uh, almost independents. You know, they right. played in a smaller, you know, the Middle Atlantic Conference, and uh, and now, of course, you we have a Big East and an Atlantic Ten, and uh, it, it's still a great rivalry in Philadelphia. One of the things that always made the Big Five unique was that these five schools, LaSalle, Penn, St. Joe, Temple, and Villanova. To put aside their differences and agree to play each other in a round city series round robin format every you year. You were right in the middle of that problem. Yeah, I mean things were changing. Yes, you were. Uh, 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 we would have, we would like to have seen the, all the city series games stay at the Palestra and the schools continue to play each other, but with the pressures that were brought upon them, you know, from their conferences and so forth, it, it was it was difficult. Uh, people were put in a challenging situation, but it, it was still... Hey, Dan, I, I just uh, want to ask Dan, uh, Dan, uh, one thing I've always remarked about the uh, Big Five, what other metropolitan area can put together five 
highest successful mm-hmm. basketball programs within the city limits. I mean, it's a, that's the most unreal thing that I, I always look upon with the uh, with the Big Five. Number one, yeah. and number two, how many how many NBA coaches have come out of the Big Five? Uh, you know, I you know yeah. just start with Chuck Daly and McKinney and Dr. Jack. Those are the two things that always have come to mind when I talk about the Big Five. Uh, to have that many successful basketball programs within, basically within the city limits, Bill Nova's outside, of course, but uh, that to me is, is remarkable to get that much yeah. talent to play in Philadelphia. Well, Tommy, let me, let me interrupt for a second just to say uh, the person you're listening to right now, Tom LeMaine, a figurehead in Philadelphia, right. both on radio and television, sports and weather. Uh, Tommy's done a little bit of everything, music uh, as well, and, and uh, been very involved in sports. And uh, so as you talk about the Big Five, and uh, the one thing I can say is that the only school that's kept about even with the the, the, the Philadelphia minor uh, programs has been Fordham. Fordham, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know all about Fordham, don't you, Tom? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did everything uh, at Fordham but uh, play for them. And uh, at the year we lost 18 games, I uh, had the sneaks on. Uh, we had, uh, you know, well, that's another point I wanted to make, uh, Don. You know, when's the last time a powerhouse basketball team or any kind of a considerable basketball team has come out of New York City? I mean, you have to go back to St. John's. Uh, I mean, it, it, that, that's another, you know, when you compare. St. John's, not since St. John's. Uh, they're the last, uh, uh, in fact, the last time I think they played in a tournament, we played them down at Richmond, uh, and that's going to be 25 years ago. I don't remember. Although they are going to have a great team, and I shouldn't say great team, but they're going to have a very good team this year. Well, and the, uh, Dan, you've seen it all. You've you've seen all these teams, not only from Philadelphia, but uh, as, as Tommy mentioned, the New York teams and all, and, and everybody's going through a cycle. That's it. Well, Leroy Ellis was playing for St. John's, you know, about the time I was at Fordham, and uh, we're on the bus coming home from a '76ers game, the last game of the season, and Leroy Ellis wasn't too much of a of a talker, you know, he's kind of a low-key guy. He got up in the middle of the bus and made an announcement. He said, I want you to know that we have somebody very important on this bus, Tom LeMaine. He not only holds the record for the most losses at his college, 18 in one season, he now owns the professional <laughs> NBA record for broadcasting the most losses in the NBA. And I, said, I don't know that going to be proud of, but, uh, but Bill Campbell said to me, son, after the 973 year, Bill Campbell said to me, "If you can do this, you know, and get through a 973 year, uh, everything else is downhill." Fellas, well, don't forget <laughs> rapper. You coming out of LaSalle too? <laughs> he made a name for himself. So well, that's I, what I mean, well, Don. I mean, you, you know, you know something else you have success. to bring up with, with Tom Lemaine is his service to this country. Oh that's yeah. Right. Uh, you know, you think of. Uh, uh, the people we had to be thankful for, Tom LeMaine is certainly one of them. And uh, famous uh, pilot. Uh, and he's got, he's got a great Jerry Coleman story for you that I know he'll tell you tonight. Thank you, Dan. Uh, of all the things I've done in my life, uh, the, famous, the proudest thing I've ever done is serve my country. That's for sure. Thank you, Dan, for calling me. Amen. <clears throat> oh, Amen. Thank you. No question. Well, Dan, we won't keep you. We appreciate it. And uh, Godspeed. 
and you sound great and uh, prayers are answered and uh you know you're just going to continue on uh, to a full recovery um, thank right. you very much dan anytime hey, you're kind enough to come on with us you know we appreciate it and uh all the best to you, and, and uh, let's hope that the Phillies can turn that corner. As you said, the Brusky can make a, uh, a a significant move over the winter and see what can happen. But thank you so for the, very, very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Dan. Have, Have a great day, Take care, Dan. God bless. Thank you. All right, Bye. now, Tommy, you've been wanting to get into hockey since about 7.30 tonight. Now's your time <laughs> because Tom Romain <laughs> is our representative in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We t- he may play this <laughs> – May have played at Fordham, but uh, that was basketball. But now he's become very, very involved with the Philadelphia Flyers and the National Hockey League. So, Tommy, start it off. Well, Tommy, well, I congratulate you, Dan for his uh, appointment as head coach of the uh, of the Phantoms, the Flyers farm team, uh, the American Hockey League team. You know, I said, you know, he said, well, you know, uh, what can you what can you bring to the game? I said, Lappy, if you need a big, stay-at-home, lumbering defenseman who doesn't move too many feet from the dot, then I'm your guy. How about that, Tommy? Go ahead. The only well, time I put on the skates back when I was a kid was uh, as a defenseman, and, uh, you know, uh, I was always hesitant to get into the, any kind of a play because I was so afraid of screwing it up, so I just stayed at home. <laughs> but, I, but you're right, Don. I, I, I've been waiting uh, for hockey. I mean, I went a whole year. I mean, you know, people say, well, you know, that's <laughs> a big deal, right? Yeah, to me it was a big deal to go a whole year without going to a hockey game after having gone to uh, just about every game in the last how many years I've, I've been going to uh, uh, hockey games, especially, you know, in addition to when I was on the road with the Flyers when I was covering uh, the Flyers, and, uh, you know, got to see all the Canadian cities, which I never probably would have gone to if it had not been for uh, for hockey and for uh, traveling with the Flyers. And uh, <clears throat> in places like Winnipeg, you know, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary, I mean, it was just a, a great experience. And I've always said this, Don, and I'll say it again, of all the teams, of all the professional teams I've covered in my sports career, the hockey guys are the best. They don't. They, yeah. First of all, they, they'll give you they'll give you an honest answer. They don't. They ha, they stay away from the usual locker room talk. And if there are tougher human beings on the planet Earth than hockey players, I don't know where they are. That's right. Well, Tommy, uh, 365 days ago, approximately, when the season was opening for the 20 season. You were very, very optimistic about the Philadelphia Flyers. You were really exuberant about their goaltending. Things did not happen as you anticipated. So what do you look at now? What changes have they made? And what do you look at now that's going to make them more competitive? The Rangers have gotten better. The Islanders have gotten better. And the other thing I'd like you to touch on is the schedule because now – we're back to the National Hockey League. As youth, they're going to go to the West Coast. They're going to do all the things they couldn't do because of the pandemic. Well, first of all, Donna, last season, you know, I just I just put an asterisk on that last season. I, I just put that out of uh, out of mind. It was just an anomaly to uh, to hockey. I mean, taking nothing away from uh, Tampa Bay for winning a cup. Thank you. But uh, to answer your question about uh, to answer your question about. The Rangers got tougher. I don't, you know, they got better 
in, in ways that, uh, you know, they have a little bit of an edge. And if only because uh, I just think the new coach for the uh, New York Rangers, uh, he, he, I mean, he's earned his stripes and he has, to me, he's one of the top three coaches in the league. And uh, number two, you mentioned the Islanders. Uh, if there's a better coach than Barry Trotz, I don't know where he is. Mm-hmm. And the Islanders, uh, you know, they, um, they're they just good. I mean, I, 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 I think they're the Stanley Cup odds-on favorite in my book. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, they almost made it last year, but like I said, last year was an anomaly. Uh, and it's a tough division. You know, uh, Washington is, is Washington, and Peter Laviette's, you know, got the same cast of characters in there to see what he can do with them. Um, but uh, Philadelphia, uh, they uh, they finally got, you know, I think they're developing what I've always said the Flyers need, and that is a sniper. Flyers, Flyers do not have a scorer. Uh, and I think that Joel Farabee is, to me, is the guy who can be the sniper that for a long time the Flyers have been looking for. And one of the best trades all year long, uh, of the offseason or ever, was the uh, Flyers getting uh, Cam Atkinson. I mean, that, <laughs> I once told talking to a front office guy for the Flyers, and I won't mention his name, uh, some time ago, and I said, look, I know the tampering rules and everything, and uh, this conversation never took place. But is there any chance you can get Cam from <laughs> trying him loose from Columbus and get him over here? Uh, and he's playing with uh, his uh, former line mate. I think those two guys are going to make a big difference as far as scoring. Uh, for the Flyers. That's what they needed, a scorer. And uh, Cam, like I said, he's, he's a, he is a shoot-first mentality hockey player. And, mm-hmm. you know, as much as uh, Philadelphia and, and a lot of the fans and the team have owed a debt of gratitude to Jake Borchek, you have switched a guy who plays an entirely different game. Uh, as I mentioned, Cam is a shoot-first guy. And, uh, you know, uh, Jake was a pass-first guy. And um, even though it's early in the season, I mentioned to one of the front office guys at the Flyers, I said, Cam Atkinson is leading the Flyers in scoring right now. <laughs> I said, was, was Jake Voracek ever in that position? And, had his, and for all that Jake did, I mean, don't get me wrong, one of the great trades was getting him over from Columbus in the first place. That was, a, that was one of the steals mm-hmm. uh, that uh, Paul Homer pulled off and uh, and, uh, and Ryan. It, it's just, uh, uh, to me, it's a shoot-first mentality that the Flyers have needed, and I think they have that in number 89. And uh, I, as I mentioned before, I think Joel Farabee is the, uh, you know, he's 20-something. I think he's the upcoming sniper that the Flyers have uh, needed for a long time. They just need to get scoring. I think they've improved. They, they weren't very good on defense, as a matter of fact, but I think they've improved that. With a, with a couple of, of uh, you know, a couple of veteran backliners that will uh, certainly help with the uh, defense. Roger. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Tom, that uh, TNT. Tommy, this is for you too, Tom Gilbert. Uh, TNT starts their uh, hockey uh, coverage tonight, uh, oh, and uh, I just uh, flipped it, and it's uh, uh, the Rangers and the uh, Caps. Uh, from uh, D.C., and you were talking about the Rangers, uh, Tom, that uh, the, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they do, and also to see great how expectations, Roger. I have great expectations for the Rangers. Yeah. Well, you know, but it's going to be interesting to see the difference between uh, the uh, new coverage with TNT 
uh, ESPN versus NBC. And, of course, uh, Charles Barkley is going to be involved in the TNT. But the one oh, that man. I really found uh, interesting uh, was I picked up on this. TNT's bio on uh, Keith Jones, who's going to be doing the uh, ice reporting now, mm-hmm. uh, said that uh, he's part of the morning team on 610. And, and I sent this to Angelo. He, went, he thought it was hilarious. And I said, yeah, because if people try to listen to you on 610, they're going to get the Black News Network. So. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to update that. Yeah, you got to update that, you know. Jonesy has to get in touch with the PR department at TSC. <laughs> yeah. But, you well, know, I, know, I don't – I just – you know, it's Jones funny. Can, uh, at halftime, between periods, Tom, they've got five uh, guys yeah. that uh, are well, evaluating and analyzing the game. Well, well let's get back to the schedule for a moment because uh, it is going to be a new era, a new era of of, of uh, what it what it used to be like in the National Hockey League, and and that is travel. Now there a lot of protocols have been taken down, and they're going to move all around the country, and uh, a lot of activity, a lot of anticipation for the National Hockey League, maybe more than any time I can ever remember. Well, uh, they just relaxed the travel ban for Canada, so. Uh... You can go across the Canadian border and see a hockey game now, just as a regular guy. Um, and it, you know, but uh, you know, travel is travel, Don. I don't. Uh, you know, there's one extra stop on the uh, on the travel log now. It's Seattle, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the heck the uh, Kraken is, and they'll be in town next week, and I'll you know uh, to find out what they're all about. But uh, you know, um, it's uh, I, I don't think there's really much difference in the travel. I mean. Except for now that the uh, the, uh, the uh, safety measures that they and the health measures that they had in place last year with the bubble and everything has been totally relaxed, I believe. And uh, you know, I, I thought of all the teams of all the sports last year during the pandemic, uh, in my estimation, I thought, and I'm prejudiced because I love hockey, but I, I thought the National Hockey League did the best job. Mm-hmm. Tom right. Gilbert, what do you I think? Don't know, I don't, Go ahead. I don't know how you feel about it, but yeah, I, I think, think you're right, Tom. Yeah, Tommy Gilbert, go, go ahead. ahead. Tommy. No, yeah, I think you're right about that. The NHL did the best job. I mean, Gary Bettman did the best job possible getting, you know, like we, we had the first, you know, raising over banner when we won the cup, the first cup up there. So he did a great job. And eventually get fans back in the building right now. So I think my hat goes off to Gary Bettman and, Tom, last night's festivities was out of this world. John Fresno, director of uh, um, entertainment for the for the um, Tampa Bay Lightning, was in class. They had everything going off there, right? And, and it's just that it could be not hat trick in '76, hat trick for next year, for this upcoming year. I mean, it's just and, and you're going to see the Seattle hockey team. Watch out for number 37, Yanni Gord. Yanni Gord's a great player, great young talent. Oh, we hate to lose Yanni Gord, but we lost an expansion draft. And Todd Lewicki, who came under with, with Jeff Finnick, is a, he's doing as a head guy out there now. So we're and it's going to be interesting. Tampa Bay lost six two to Pittsburgh, but one game is not make a season. Lightning's still strong up front, and we're still going to be in the cup. We'll still be the cup team to beat in the Stanley Cup 
in, for the Stanley Cup this year. But Tom, I has thank you for a lot. I mean, all the fans are going in, going into the building. I stepped outside my office down there, and there was a Stanley Cup, and I went up, and I'm like, oh my God, there it is again. You know, it's measured by Spider, but the only bad one bad thing was there, Barry Melrose, and he, he knocked the light. He was coached when they fired John Tortorella. Barry Melrose was there, and he said, Marty St. Louis is not a good hockey player. And, you know, that Rick Tockett took his job after Mr. Melrose got fired up there. That summer. It was a great opening night. Well, a couple of there again. I was, well, I was happy. It was a good opening night, and it's good to see that Tampa was getting some fans, which you yeah. can't say when you go to one of their baseball games. I mean, that, that's, that's, yeah. to me, that's an embarrassment. I mean, here's a team, World Series champions, that always a winner. Uh, and you know, to, and that 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 that, that, that way outdated stadium that they play in. Oh, terrible! Uh, it's uh, you know, and, and, and to be fair, to be fair, I think um, you know, and Don Henderson, you can jump in on this as much as anybody. Uh, to me, Florida is not a uh, summertime baseball uh, market. It's summer. I mean, you're you're going to get <laughs> you're going to total up the uh, the total attendance for spring training games in Florida in the Grapefruit League. And yeah. I, would guess, I, would, I would guess that it's going to be pretty close to the total amount of people who come to a Tampa Bay Lightning regular, a Tampa Bay Rays regular season game. That's an embarrassing situation down there. It really is. And, Tom, and you, make, you make a really interesting point there because when hockey came down here, everybody said, how can it possibly go? The National Hockey League coming to Tampa, Florida, or coming to Miami, how could it possibly go? And yet uh, when baseball came down, it came down with the idea it can't miss. It can't miss in Miami. It certainly can't miss, uh, you know, in in Tampa, Florida. And yet things have been just the opposite. Uh, the well, lightning have taken the lightning have taken over Tampa, and uh, you know it, it, it's just it, been a reversal. You're exactly right. The summer is not. It has it has been a it has been a big miss in Miami. I mean, usually when I remember when they opened that that stadium down there in uh, Miami when, I guess it was the Florida Marlins and now it's the Miami Marlins. Um, you know, any baseball team that has a brand-new ballpark usually has a honeymoon where fans come out just to see the ballpark. I mean, right. as much as they're coming out to see the team, I don't think that they ever had a honeymoon with that new uh, stadium down in Miami. And that, that's no, another embarrassing. I mean, I, 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 and, it's, and, it's, and it continues today. I mean, those games that are played in Miami, I mean, you know, a guy in left field can make a statement or yell something out in, in deep left field, <laughs> and that thing will echo all the way through the arena down there at, in right. Miami, and you'll be able to hear it as clear as, 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 a, as if he was right on top of the microphone. That's, that's uh, I don't know, Don. The only solution I have for that is that uh, Florida is a uh, spring training team state. And uh, all the people who are baseball fans, uh, you know, maybe they're snowbirds or whatever you want to call them, uh, they they all come uh, back up when the, when the when the uh, they go back home when the baseball season starts, and they're you're left with people in Florida who are not going to baseball games. Well, the problem, Tommy, is, and you know probably as well as anybody, and and Roger as well. We're in a different age category, but most of the people in the summertime that are down here. And I'm not going to say they're all senior citizens, but a great majority of them are in the 40, late 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever. Well, it's very difficult to get them to leave their house at 5 o'clock in the evening yep. 
Drive mm-hmm. all the way down to the ballpark, even if it's only a half hour or 45 minutes away. Stay there for three hours and then drive home in the dark. They just mm-hmm. don't want to do it. And all the games are on television. Uh, there's no reason for them to leave the house. Uh, they they stay home. They watch the game. Not that they don't enjoy the games. Not that they're not fans and, uh, of the sport. Certainly the Rays have a tremendous following on television. But the truth is, and, and we're in Sarasota, and I'm only 45 minutes in the ballpark. And I'm going to tell you, very few people in Sarasota will go out at 5 o'clock at night and drive up to, to Tampa to, to see a game because they don't want to drive back at 11 o'clock at night. Exactly. Well, there's a problem, Don. There it is. Uh, you know, throw that in to the uh, mix that I gave you about why uh, Florida is not a, a, a summertime baseball state. And uh, you're right about that. And, uh, you know, uh, it, but spring training, Don, I mean, it, it, I, I went to the Yankees-Phillies game. The Yankees and the Phillies played a, pre-se- a, a spring training game at Clearwater, and I think it was the first time in a long time that the two World Series teams played a spring training game. Think about it. You know, it doesn't happen very often because right. most of the times one team is from the Arizona spring training or somewhere else, but they're not in Florida. And, you know, I had tickets for that game. And, uh, you know, as I walked into uh, to the park in the Clearwater, people were offering 80 to to $100 for my tickets, you know, yeah. I mean, the Yankees and the Phillies playing in a spring training game, but uh, but it was sold. They could have sold. I don't know how many fans they get. Clearwater, maybe fifteen at, the, at max. They could have. They could have. I looked the way I looked at it. They could have had a, maybe forty thousand people for a spring training game. But then right. again, it was the Yankees and the Phillies yeah. right after the two thousand eight World Series. Yeah, but Tommy, you have to remember, too, that every single Yankee game or Red Sox game, and Red Sox, of course, down Fort Myers, but the the big teams that we remember, you know, we're talking about now, the Red Sox and and the Yankees are probably the two. You're paying a premium price for a spring training Mm -hmm. game in Sarasota, Florida. When they're they're, they're playing the Baltimore Orioles, who can't win 55 games in a season, and they're paying a premium price to see them play, just like you're saying. Who the hell would pay $100 to see a spring training game, but they do it. Well, as I said, Don, a couple of months ago, I said, I want you to do this now. I want you to cross that Santee River next spring and go watch those Pittsburgh Pirates. Give them some, give them some love down there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Pirates are in a bad shape right now. It's going to be a while before they're a successful franchise. But you are close to their spring training uh, facility down there, I'm sure, right? You, you know, across the Santee River, and you're there. Right. Well, 19 is a little tough, maybe, but uh, obviously for maybe, me, I'm only uh, 10 minutes from Pirate Camp and over in, in, in Bradenton. And here in, well, me, in Sarasota, I'm only five minutes from the ballpark at Smith Stadium. Well, let me, let and, of course, if I want to go south, uh, you know, and now with the Red Sox, uh, you know, bringing their big complex down here, spending millions and millions of dollars, uh, you know, baseball's right in your backyard. I mean, spring training is, is uh, just a phenomenon down here. Well, how much are tickets for the Pirates spring training games? <laughs> well, you, know, uh, you'll, you yeah. won't have any trouble Don getting never had to pay. He gets a press box fan. Roger, go ahead. The Caps are up one nothing, Tom, and uh, against yeah, well, the uh, you know, Rangers. It, it, yeah, it's early, but the, the best team in – I think the best team in that division, which to me is the toughest division in hockey, is still the New York Islanders. You, uh, 
you've got to show you got to show me something that tells me differently. That and they get the best coach team. too. Without a doubt, that's Barry Trotz is what far you away. Yeah, he, he's uh, when they uh, Washington. I can't believe they let him go. I mean, I mean, he wins the cup and then they lowball him for a salary. And of course, he goes. You know, I, I, I'm embarrassed that you at the at the number you're throwing out. I just won the Stanley Cup for you. And I watched. You know, as you mentioned, Tom, you watched the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning with their ceremony last night, raising the kind of flag and and uh, getting the cup and everything. But when the Washington Capitals did their ceremony after they had won the Stanley Cup with Barry Trotz as the as the coach, he was hardly mentioned that night. They didn't even mm-hmm. they didn't even throw him a bouquet. And I mean that's total disrespect for a guy first of all he brought you the he brought you the cup. I mean, he came in and took over a Washington Capitals team that basically had the same roster, the same players that they had at least three years prior to Barry Trotz coming in. He took the same players on that team and won a Stanley Cup for them. And uh, well, me, he's been on the doorstep for uh, Sammy, uh, the last couple of years, uh, just hadn't been able to push the last that uh, that last goal to win it. Well, yeah, you mean the Capitals? No, I'm, I'm talking about the yeah, Islanders. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Islanders. I, mean, I, I don't see any holes in the Islanders at all. I mean, uh, they finally got their, their goalie situation squared away, and, and Barry Trotz just knows how to win games. And uh, if, uh, you know, if the Islanders – if the Islanders win that division by, say, four points or even closer than that, maybe, if it is that close, to me that would mean that they would have won any other division by 20 points. That's how good, Ooh. that's how far and above they are. No, really. Uh, I mean, I know, Cal- you know, you're, you're, you're in Calgary and, and all those guys out west, which you don't get to see and don't get to appreciate how good they are. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, I just think the Islanders are, uh, are really, uh, you know, the best team in the league. And I think Tom mentioned something about the ceremony they had in Tampa Bay. If you have never been to a game in Vegas, if you have never been to a hockey game in Vegas, I went out there for the first time the Flyers played in Vegas, and their their, their game night presentation in, in Vegas for the Golden Knights is about as good as it can get. They really do it right. And, of course, you know, Vegas being the entertainment city that it is, you would expect that. Tommy, look what they did, and I got to give Bettman a lot of credit for this. Bettman changed the whole complexion of the way you run a draft. He gave a team, an expansion team, a couple of years ago, an opportunity to get players to be competitive. And not only were they competitive, but they were competitive right into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, and that, that never happened in any other sport. Well, two, two things, Don. Number one. Uh, which didn't happen this year with the Seattle franchise. Golden Knights, to me, they were the Vegas salary dumps. The guys, the teams were ready to dump big te- big ticket salaries, where uh, the Vegas Knights were happy to pick them up. They picked up a lot of good, a uh, hell of a lot better hockey players than the uh, Seattle Kraken has picked up this year. Number one and number two, who was their coach? Who are we you know, talking about I mean, now? I'm talking about he's in the top three. I mentioned him earlier. The head coach oh, okay. of New York Golden Knight now. Yes. I mean, you've got to give him some credit, too. But uh, to, answer, to make it to your point, Don, when when uh, Vegas came into the league, they had a, you know, how about their goaltender? I mean, how did anybody let him go? 
I mean, that's a shattering dump. That was the only thing that really enabled but somebody, the Tommy, let me, let me add this. If you, you know, it was, it was all Bedman. Bedman, he's the one that led the way in the changing the way there's going to be draft. You couldn't just give yeah. players to teams that stunk mm-hmm. and make them be losers for 10 years and not even be a competitive in the city. Uh, like the right. National Football League does, uh, like everybody at baseball does. I mean, the, he had he had a different formula, and the formula was correct. He yeah. follows through with that for the Stanley Cup playoffs a couple of years ago, when everybody else said it could be done that way. Then he has an agreement for the player salary, so that the cap would not be, you know, substantial was be, would not be so that they couldn't compete. I mean, all these things that he's done have been in total best interest of the sport. Mm-hmm. Well, if you did that last, if you did that with the Vegas Golden Knights, you certainly did a 180 when it came to the Seattle Kraken. He wanted oh, to make boy. sure that what I mean, what happened, what happened, as you mentioned, you know, the first team in the league, they came that close to winning the Stanley Cup, which is improbable, but that will never happen again. And I think mm-hmm. it was uh, the, the, the it was just a case of okay, here's a new franchise in the National Hockey League. The first right. one they had had in a long time. And right. general managers throughout the league saw a great chance to uh, to dump some of these salaries, big salaries. And Vegas welcomed them with open arms. They had a very good team made up of guys who were highly paid hockey players for, right. uh, for other teams in the National Hockey League. And then they had Gerard Gallant, who was, uh, he did a magnificent job of putting yep. these guys together and coaching them. I was just going to say, that's what you're talking about, putting the team together, making the right selections, uh, certainly from the goaltender out. Let's start there because he was the heart and soul the first year. And uh, so going from the goaltender out, uh, they made great selections and were able to put together a totally cooperative team that worked from day one right straight through into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I I, I can't remember another team that was an expansion team that did anything like that. You know what, Don? They're still good. The Golden Knights are still good. Oh, absolutely. They're They're still good. (laughs) They're still a good team out there in the West. And uh, I just, uh, that'll never happen again. And to your point about Gary Bettman, uh, you know, making all the right moves and making the right calls, I think they saw to it that what happened with Vegas coming out of nowhere and almost winning the Stanley Cup in its first year, uh, that ain't going to happen again. And I think well, I'm not that. saying it's going to happen again. But well, let me ask you this: so Let's go to a different area. Let's go to the way he got together uh, a player association agreement before the Stanley Cup playoffs were even played last year. That's right. Well, yeah, that was well. That's why I said earlier the National Hockey League did the best of all four professional sports when it came to uh, getting their season, despite the odds of the pandemic. That's You're right. right. Absolutely right. Brilliant. I mean, I really, I was into, you know, you watched all of them, and, you know, football games, particularly without fans, in the, especially the outdoor games, you know. I understand they're going to be a lot tougher to, uh, to negotiate back then. To get, but now, you know, when it started, the outdoor games were the easier ones to get fans because mm-hmm. they're outdoors and they can easily space, uh, you know, fans in a, in a 40 or 50,000-seat uh, stadium than they can in a smaller hockey rink or a hockey arena. So, again, uh, that was another one of the great odds that the National Hockey League overcame during the pandemic year and was able to get through what I thought was a very successful season. Oh, yeah. uh, You know, uh, you're right. Uh, A lot of kudos 
sure that that agreement that you referred to was signed, sealed before the season started, and it went a long way to making the National Hockey League get the best out of a bad situation. Not only that, but it gives an even playing field. It, it, you know, you, you're in a situation where everybody talks about the cap in the National Football League and even the, the penalty clause in, in, in Major League Baseball, if you go over that $217 million, whatever, I don't know what the number is, but it's close to that. Uh, you know, those, but in the National Hockey League, you know, they've, they've got the they've got the setup so that you, you pretty much, if you know how to run your ball club, you got a chance to be competitive. Right, right. exactly, and uh, that's uh, that's a, a tribute to the way hockey is uh, not only played, but the way hockey is run from the front office all the way down. Balance, Tommy. Balance. Uh, you can't have teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Baltimore Orioles playing 162 games a year. Well, not only that, but Don, what sport? Now, honestly, coming into the season, although I, you know, I mentioned that I think the Islanders are the odds-on favorites, but how many leagues, how many professional leagues can say what the National Hockey League can say this year? There's at least 15 teams that could win the Stanley Cup this year. That's right. I mean, how many can't say that in baseball? You can't say that in football, and you certainly can't, you know, say that in basketball. There, you know, because basketball is kind of top loaded. You know, with players who uh, who are running the league, by the way. You know, uh, I you know, and say, well, Tom Tom Brady sort of ran things down in Tampa Bay. He is the general manager down there. Yeah, I'll come I'll come to play for Tampa Bay if you get me this guy and this guy and this guy. And you know, and, and LeBron James did did the same thing with the Lakers. And uh, you know, and, and Harden and Harden and those guys basically did the same thing with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. But uh, even when they did that, you've got a top tier of, of teams in the NBA, you've got a top tier of teams in baseball, and you've got a top tier of teams in football. But in hockey, wide open, Don. It is wide open. Uh, right now, anybody could win the Stanley Cup amongst 12 teams, at least 12 teams in that league. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, if you take uh, baseball, if you look at baseball and you say, and, Roger, you're a lot closer because you're in Atlanta right now. The Braves, that come on, they were expected to win the National League East. And they, it was a struggle, but they did it with overcoming the injuries and everything else. And uh, a great, great group of moves on the trading deadline by the Atlanta Braves as opposed to everybody else, uh, including the Phillies. But uh, the only real surprise, at least the people that I talked to, are the San Francisco Giants. Who would have ever thought this time last year that the San Francisco Giants would be the winningest team in the National League West, one game better than the Dodgers. Who would have thought that? With Gabe Kapler as well, manager. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, um, you got to think that maybe they had, maybe they had the wherewithal to do that in, in a couple of previous years. I mean, the Giants have always had a good team. It's just that the Dodgers had a better team, and uh, you know, the competition. You got one team that wins. 105 games, 103 games, and, 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 and you know, I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, Tom, we can't expand the season any more than it's already expanded. And you'll be playing until Thanksgiving. However, if the Dodgers, winners of a record of a franchise winning, what, 105 games, and, and they could have been bounced in one game, that ain't right. There's something wrong with that. I know you say, well, you know, you earn your right to get in the playoffs, and if you don't win the uh, – if you don't finish in first place, we're going to throw you a coin by giving you a wild card slot. That's nice. But I really think there should have been a best of three in that series mm-hmm. right there. I mean, if the Dodgers had got bumped, 
kicked in that one game shootout, that one game right, shootout. Right, right. Uh, you know, after Kenny, it'll go down in history and say, what team had a franchise record of wins as long as old as a franchise as the Dodgers are, for instance, and to make that point, and got eliminated in the playoffs in one game? You know, several years from now, people are going to say, what, that really happened? If it mm-hmm. happened, if it had happened. And they're going to say, yeah, that really happened. And in this case, this year it could have happened. So, you know, if you're going to have the wild card, the best of three, somebody said the, uh, the opening round uh, should have been the best of seven because it's the best of mm-hmm. five. I don't know. You can't, you can't expect it. But, you know, yeah, but the problem with that time, you're not going to be playing baseball until December. I mean, they've got to exactly. find a better way to do it, either shorten the regular season yeah. and then extend mm-hmm. the early parts of the playoffs. I mean, let's face it. It is staying here. Everybody wants to see a playoff game. It's a playoff game. It's a, right. We're mm-hmm. going to get into the playoffs, even if it's only a one-game playoff. You know, that's the, that's the star at the end of the season. We're going to get into the playoffs. Well, uh, you know, I did a show with Billy Wardell yesterday, your good friend, my good friend. And Billy made a couple of good points. I mean, look at this. He worked for the San Diego, San Diego Padres for so many years broadcasting. And uh, they spent all that money last year. This is the third time now, the third turnover that San Diego Padres have challenged the Dodgers and the Giants out in the West. They spent all that money to get players. And they didn't come within 10 games of getting into the playoffs. So, I mean, it, it's crazy. Well, they, 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 they took a big dive at the end. Uh, but, you know, uh, com- well, compare their, compare their, uh, their lineup with the, the New York Yankees. I mean, uh, how, many, uh, you know, how much more money can the New York Yankees spend to, uh, to try to win uh, you know, a World Series or even to win a division championship or a, a, a league championship? Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking of San Diego, of course, uh, Dan wanted me to mention this. Uh, about a good friend of mine. He was, uh, for a long time, Jerry Coleman, uh, was for a short time was the manager of the San Diego Padres, and for a long time they were broadcaster. But Jerry Coleman is the only major league player to see combat in two wars. Uh, I know wow. Ted Williams served in two, uh, Ted Williams served in two wars, uh, but he did not see combat in World War II. And uh, Jerry Coleman, I mean, he was a fighter pilot. I mean, he... <laughs> He flew a dive bomber and also flew a uh, fighter jet. He flew a dive bomber in World War II, and he flew a fighter jet in the Korean War. Right. And, uh, you know, and here's the best trivia question of all, Don. In the 1950 World Series between the Phillies and the Yankees, Jerry Coleman was the most valuable player. And why? Well, if you remember that series, have you heard it? There were all, the Yankees, even though they swept the Phillies in four games, they only scored 11 runs. I mean, Robert Roberts lost two games by one run. But the Yankees only scored 11 runs in a four-game series, but Jerry Coleman knocked in six of them. So, wow. so he, was, he was the MVP. Well, Tommy, they got a history of second base, but Bobby Richardson did a great job, too, in, in uh, postseason play. And, uh, and he, uh, as much as you may talk about up. Billy Martin, Billy Martin also was a player that did exceptionally well uh, a little bit of a crazy guy, but he did exceptionally well for the New York Yankees to play off a World Series competition. 
Right. You know, I just wanted to jump in about uh, something else. Another uh, before we, Tom has to, you know, uh, I don't know whether uh, Doug's uh, ready to go in a little while or not. But, uh, Tom, I wanted to get your opinion of tomorrow night's big game between the Eagles and the Bucks. Why, why is it a big game? Why is it a big game? A big game for who? It's a big game. I'm being facetious. The big game is already played. The Rams and the Bucks. That was the big game. Those, yeah. Three of those are the two outdoor favorites uh, for the uh, for, to get to the Super Bowl. Um, I, <clears throat> you know, I'm just surprised that I, I think that Sirianni, the new head coach for the Eagles, I think he's going to continue to be outcoached. Now, in my in my opinion, I think when you are coaching for the first time in the National Football League, you mm-hmm. can't bring in assistant coaches, your defensive coordinator, your offensive coordinator, who in, in some cases are younger than you are. You have to mm-hmm. have a guy who has been in the league for a while so that in, a, in a tight situation or a, a situation where you have to make a call you can lean on that guy to say, no, what do you think we should do in this case? But when the guy is younger than you are and has, least, has no more experience in the NFL than you do, you're overmatched right off the top. And the best example I can think of in, in basketball, and I mentioned the big five. Tommy, I, I got to interrupt you because Doug Hamilton is, uh, is ready to go. And first of all, again, thank you very much between you and Dan Baker. The last uh, hour has been a terrific hour. And, and, uh, Tom, thanks, Go Bulls. BL, always good to talk to you. All right. And how, later, how about our friend Tom? How about our friend uh, Tom Williams? The press box is in his name now at Ocean City High School. Well, it should be because the, the press box is the only thing older than Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell him that. Tom Williams, thank you very, very much. Always a pleasure. Another guy coming on right now, our resident PGA professional. Uh, and every time he comes on in the last few weeks, all we do is talk about other sports except the, the world where we go. But uh, he's got to have a little bit more of a smile on his face again today. Yeah. Overtime game, and the Ravens continue, continue, continue. Doug, right. uh, I tell you, you must have been on the edge of your seat the other night. Yeah. Well, I, you know, i got to tell you, um, you know, I, I – I pride myself in, in um, obviously, my, my own craft of, of being a golf professional, but I do – I really enjoy uh, branching out into other sports. Um, I, I, for one, I'm a huge horse racing fan. Um, I love football. My, you know, bread and butter has always been baseball. I love um, – you know, I'm starting to watch some hockey uh, over the last couple of years. It's opening night here for uh, for the Capitals who – I think we're up one nothing over the Rangers. I don't know what the score is now, but um, you know, it's I just I really love sports and I love paying attention to the minutia of the games themselves. Um, and so, um, you know, that being said, I mean Monday night, um, you know, for the first half was a, was just a sleepwalk um, and frustrating. But uh, you know, obviously Lamar hit the hit the Jets there uh, a little later in the game and. Um, Man, what a what a finish that was! What a great game. Well, I'll tell you what, Doug. That game, I don't. It was won by the uh, Ravens, but it, definitely it was lost 
because of the defense of the Colts. Uh, because I got to uh, get. Yeah. Oh, by the way, it's three nothing now in favor of the uh, Caps over the Rangers. Okay, Roger, have, Roger the Colts uh, didn't have a defense. You can't even. You can't credit it to that, no, the that's defense. They didn't have any. That's my point, Don. That game was not so much won by the Ravens, but lost by the Colts uh, because of the defense. It was a disgrace mm-hmm. that uh, Jackson was able to just go through that <laughs> defense. And especially yeah. Wentz had done a great job of bringing the team. And, you know, the other thing is if they, what, they missed a uh, extra point and they missed the field goal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, that would have also changed the end of the game. But they, yeah, I mean, it was, that's, they, that's uh, important. Yeah. It, well, it was cert- certainly a tale of two halves. I mean, I think that the Colts defense looked uh, pretty decent in the first half. I mean, the, the Ravens struggled to move the football. Um you know, and uh, some of those same opportunities were there. They they couldn't capitalize. I mean, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't they couldn't move it. They couldn't make first downs. Um, you know, and then you know, obviously in the second half, I think you have to give credit to uh, Greg Roman and, and what he did to you know listen. You know, for the last how many years people have said Lamar cannot stand in the pocket and deliver the football with any level of accuracy. Um, you know, he threw the ball for what is it for uh, for someone who's thrown the ball at least forty times? He completed eighty six percent of his passes. He threw for four hundred and forty two yards. You know, that's pretty good for uh, yeah, what was the it? Second uh, half, uh, uh, Doug alone, he went for a total of almost two hundred seven yards in the second half. He threw for over three hundred yards in the second half. Yeah. You know, and you know, you you listen to guys like uh, the famed Hall of Famer uh, Bill Pullian say that that. Uh, you know, Lamar Jackson should have tried out at the Combine as a wide receiver. Well, you know, eat your hat, buddy. You know, I mean, he he, he can do Everybody he can do a lot of mistakes. different things. He can do a lot of different things, and no one's given him the proper credit for being not just a good athlete and somebody that can run the ball and take off when he needs to. I mean, the Ravens rushed for over 100 yards in a game, 43 consecutive games, tying the, what, 1970 Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, you know, they can beat you in a lot of different ways. But, but everybody's always said, well, now, nah, you know, Lamar can't stand in the pocket. He can't deliver the ball with accuracy. He can't throw it down the field. You know, he's not going to be able to, you know, stand back there and do it. And I know it's only one game. I get it. But Lamar Jackson right now has has more offensive yardage than 11 combined football teams. Right. <laughs> Doug, let me ask you, why is that that he does not get the credit that's due him? Well, when he came out of In Louisville, I mean, he won he won the Heisman Trophy coming out of Louisville, but he was he was deemed to be a running you know mobile quarterback. And look, I'm not going to stand here and defend the guy for having you know wonderful mechanics because he didn't. And and you know when people watched him throw the football, they questioned his arm strength, they questioned his delivery, and they questioned his mechanics, they questioned his release point, um, his accuracy. I mean, all these different things, and they weren't necessarily wrong. But guess what? This guy's developed over the last couple of years in a fashion where he can, you know, deliver the football. And I want to tell you this, you know, you look at, um, you know, some of the best quarterbacks in the league. I mean, Tom Brady has a number of different weapons he can throw to. You know, Aaron Rodgers has Devontae Adams, who's, you know, arguably the best wide receiver in football. You know, Kyler Murray has a has a, a bunch of stuff he can throw to. I mean, you know, Hopkins and, and A.J. Green and all these guys. I mean, Lamar Jackson has Mark Andrews, who's, you can stick his name up there with the best tight ends in the NFL, but other than that, what's he got? 
Certainly no no names. I mean, you're, you're right. exactly right. They're not name players that we could say right off the top of our head. Well, this guy, you know, ranks five or six or seven sure. in the National Hockey League as far as wide receivers are concerned. Right. But at the same time, uh, you know, you may name, as you just did, name one or two really outstanding receivers with each one of those quarterbacks. But at the same time, you're still talking about a recruitment. A differential of maybe what five percent? I mean, these these guys are all so good that yeah. uh, you know they may not be stars in that sense, right. but they're still great receivers. Well, I mean, look, um, you know, Sammy Watkins has played a, a a decent role this year. I mean, Marquise Brown, um, you know, he's he was on the cusp of whether the Ravens, I think, thought, well, you know what, you know, after his contract's done, do we really want him back because he's He's shown flashes of being, you know, not just a speedy receiver, but a, a good possession receiver at times. Right. He's also shown, he's also shown that he's dropped, you know, a lot of balls in critical situations, and they were, you know, on the fence with him. I mean, their number one draft pick, Rashad Bateman, has been on IR for most of the season. Miles Boykin's been on IR for most of the season. I mean, they've, you know, uh, they, they've had to make do with what they've had. I mean, they have a, a backfield that has you know, guys in it that were really good like six years ago. Um, but they're still – I mean, their their offensive line is a patchwork. You know, they, they I mean, they've had all kinds of injuries and, and, you know, been in a deficit position. They could easily be 0-5. They could easily be 5-0, and 0, you know. So, I mean, they've, they've gotten it done. Mm-hmm. Tommy, where are you here, Tom? I'm right here. I'm right here, guys. Yeah, Doug, I mean, it's just uh, – it was, you know, it was a great opening night and – it's at Florida last night for Lightning, and um, you know, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be. I think still Washington is going to be in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah. I mean, we might still got a Vaskin. We lost Yanni Gordon expansion draft. We lost a couple other guys expansion draft. But yeah, know, I mean, think about that. Is in Washington, I think it's pressure on Washington right now. You know, Vaskin mm-hmm. and the rest of that team carry and pass yeah. past the Lightning right now. So I mean. Uh, well, I mean, very hockey team right now. Washington has a uh, older crew of guys, obviously with Ovechkin leading the way. But I mean, you know, you throw in uh, Oshie and, and Kuznetsov, and um, you know, they lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they lose? They lost Donovan Dillon uh, to the Kraken in the expansion draft. They have two of the youngest goalies in the league, and Samsonov mm-hmm. and, and uh, Vanacek. Um, you know, I like uh, the addition they made, although it cost them a couple draft picks last year. Uh, Manta, I think he's he's uh, you know he's a really big, imposing you know guy that can knock you out, or he can also score a goal. Um, right. You know, they have an awful lot of talent uh, on that team, uh, but as you mentioned, I mean the the window is starting to close with regard to the age and and time left. Yep. Um, exactly. My only hope is I don't I don't know as much about hockey as I do other sports with regard to how the the minor league works and, and um, you know, some of their potential stars that they may or may not have. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at uh, major Doug, league baseball. It's the same as every other sport. If you got the right general manager and the right executive Coach. administration, yeah. you win. If you do not have well, that, make that transition, as you're saying right now, as Washington's <laughs> in that position. Yeah. If you don't have that and the preparation and the anticipation, mm-hmm. then you're not going to win. Well, what I, what I guess I mean, Don, is if you look at the NBA, the NBA is crafted on free agency. You know, you only have two rounds in a draft. I mean, you know, how, how right. deep can you make your team? 
you know, well, you, you look can, at Major you League Baseball. You're a player a year, maybe at best one amateur. Well, right. right. You, you look at Major League Baseball, I mean, hell, you can find a gem in the 20th round if you can That's find right. a guy and he can work it. I mean, NFL, I mean, you can draft a guy, you know, in the fifth round, you know, but – you know, is he is he ready to play yet? You know, and, and like you said in baseball, I mean, it's gonna. You know, the Orioles took Adley Rushman number one overall what three years ago. He's still ain't in the major leagues, and is when is he gonna be ready? You know, I mean, you don't make that transition overnight. You know, I, that's what I'm saying. So I don't like the Phillies. That about. The Phillies got a lot of those players. Roger will tell you about that. <laughs> yeah, they I got mean, a, a couple of them that will that never do anything that were first round first picks. Uh, Doug and and they are right. absolutely have not accomplished a thing. It's sad. Well, as I mentioned, yeah, as I mentioned, the NBA is a free agency league. Um, you look at uh, Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, I believe, is more of a combination of the two. Yes, free agency is important, but it's also the development of your young players. And how many years does it take a guy to transition from the high school level or the college level to be ready to play? It's got to be three to five years. I mean, look at the NFL. You draft a guy in the first round in the NFL, and he's going to be there on Sunday, you know, because that's what that's what it is. You know, there's there's no lapse time. There's no minor leagues for, for football. Um, you no, know, but basketball. Look at, look at the, Doug, but look at how many NFL players came out of, have come out of Alabama with uh, Saban as the coach. Uh, Gosh, who, uh, put is, some through there. Is prepping them for the NFL. Well, in in general, Roger, to your point, I mean, just look at the SEC in general. I mean, you know, you you look at Georgia, who's ranked number one this year, and and are you telling me that that you know thirty or thirty two NFL scouts, their, their mouths are watering going to watch those guys play, you know, in, in the SEC. You know. Oh, there's no um, doubt about it. But I'm just saying, just throughout the league right now, because Alabama has had a long run. Uh, you yeah. know, it, at, the, at the top, that's my point. And you've got Saban, but now, you know, finally one of his disciples beat him right. uh, in that, right. that great game on Saturday night. And then uh, uh, coming up in the, I think it's going to be the SEC championship. It's going to sure. be like a national championship. And I think that uh, if Kirby Smart's ever going to beat him, yeah. this is going to be the year. Well, Kirby Smart, um, you know, may, might may be as good of a recruiter as as a guy like Nick Saban. I mean, he's well, he was unquestionably when he, was he, he learned at the knee, yeah, Doug. He that's learned correct. at the knee. That's yep. correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. I mean, you know, you you look at the last five to ten years of NFL football players, and you'll find an awful lot of Alabama guys on there. Um, Nick right. Saban really knows how to recruit he knows how to develop and uh, he knows how to create you know that nfl style player um mm-hmm. you know across the board not not just at his strength of position which is which is corner and and uh secondary but that on i mean you know offensive lineman defensive i mean the, the the washington football team has you know two or three alabama guys on their defensive line so i mean they're cranking out the players talking about right. the washington football yeah. team uh your prognostication there, are they going to be able to, you know, reorganize and, and come away yeah. with uh, at least a representative season? Well, I, I think a lot of that hinges on um, on their quarterback coming back off the injured reserve. I mean, I, I can appreciate uh, Heineke, you know, coming in there and, and interjecting some, uh, you know, youth and, and gunslinger mentality, but um, – Well, he got, over, you know, he got overhyped with what happened in the playoffs last year. 
Well, you know, he had an opportunistic, you know, scenario there where he got in there and did something good, and, and, and I think he's an adequate backup, and I think that you're not in a terrible deficit position to place him, you know, in there to be your quarterback. I mean, hell, he was he was better than uh, uh, what's his name that they cut that they drafted in the first round. Um, uh, I can't think of his name. Um, he's the backup for the Steelers now. Um hmm. You know, the guy from Ohio State, I can't think of his name. I don't yeah, know what you mean. I can't think of it either. I'm listening. No, I'm with it here. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, but uh, you know, they, they have some, some talented, uh, skilled position players. They've had their own share of injuries. Their defense is, is pretty daggone good. Um, you know, Chase Young is, is just so solid. Their defensive line is good. They lost Bostic, who was a really solid linebacker for them. Um, you know, Sheriff, their their um, offensive lineman, was, was a really good, solid stalwart of that line. Um, I mean, the NFL is just such a physical, demanding, collision-type sport. And I, I, for one, can't – I love to watch Thursday night football games, but I think it's horrible for the sport. It's horrible for the game. You know, these guys that play on Sunday and, and just get their, their rear ends beat, you know, turn around three days later and play on a Thursday, it's just not good for it. It's not good for it, you know. And that's – you see so many injuries because of that kind of stuff. Well, money, well, money, it's, money. It's always been, and uh, it's yeah, money. They're, they're they're not going to change yeah. that, even though they keep switching no. channels now <laughs> to put right. the halftime. You don't know what channel the games are even on, but uh, right. they keep switching everything around. But uh, yeah, they're not going to give up Thursday night football. You, even if it all has to be on the NFL sure. channel, they're, they're going to keep playing. And I agree with you; it's very, well. very difficult. Not only that, but. You know, they do give them 10 days if they fly to London, for instance, to play. Sure. But uh, even that, to me, flying over to London to play a game. Uh, yeah. And we That's saw it last man. week. Uh, certainly, Roger did. He follows Atlanta very closely and living down that was there. A terrible, terrible football game. I mean, awful. the Jets and the Falcons. Awful game. No, you wouldn't you would you know, dime to see that game. But no, and you, you see the same thing on a lot of these Thursday night games where they have – you know, just, you know, they have Jacksonville and somebody, and they just, it's just horrible. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know what I think they ought to do, uh, and I'm with you, Doug, about the Thursday night game. And, Don, uh, see that, you know, the NFL Network uh, does it, and then Fox, I think, picked it up, like, after the fourth week or the third week, and I think then they have it most of the rest of the season with the NFL Network. But, and mm-hmm. the players don't want it. Okay, let, let's. I know that. We all know that. But here's the other thing. I think if you're going to do it, why not uh, have the buy uh, for the uh, Thursday night uh, teams on that Mm -hmm. weekend before they play? Sure. Because then they get 10 days after and 10 days before. Roger, that only makes makes common sense. sense. We don't work under the the common sense theory. Right. They don't. No, they don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be a lot to ask to map that out, you know, in a little deeper fashion. But as you mentioned, I mean, it's it's all about dollar bills. And, um, right. you know, Don, to your point, you know, it's hard to find the games. Well, that's by and large why they have remotes now that I guess you can talk to to say, find me an NFL football, and then it'll just magically appear. Well, baseball is worse. I mean, trying yeah. to find the playoff games and what team's playing on what channel is, I mean, you got to get right. the paper out and start going down the list because I mean it's crazy. You know, I, you know what? To that point too, if you want to talk baseball for whatever time we have left, I, I just don't understand how the hell the Giants are that good of a baseball team. How, how did they win that many games? I mean, you you, you look at their Nobody lineup knows. and think, 
I, I mean, the, the Dodgers should have just absolutely kicked their rear ends. You know, you, you look at the Dodgers staff of Scherzer, Kershaw, Bueller. I mean, come on, man. I mean, who, how are you going to beat those guys in a five-game series? And they're, you know, what is it, 2-2 now? 2-2, two, two, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Dodgers are just – they're the they're the Yankees of the National League. I mean, but the thing is, over 162 money. games, I mean, it doesn't seem possible that 162 games the Giants – out, they beat the Dodgers by one game. I mean, it's what it's not oh, a fluke. I mean, and they're doing the they same thing in the playoffs. They're playing them right to the ground in the playoffs. They go out and get Max Scherzer. He was he was twelve and he was twelve and zero before he had his last loss in the playoffs. They had. I mean, his ERA was like point seven eight. He right. pitched seven innings, struck out ten, and lost. Mm. The only break you get with Scherzer is that right now you get to the seventh inning, you got a chance you're going to get him out. Uh, yeah, maybe six, seven of the thirds, something like that. Get them into the seventh and eighth and ninth innings. Uh, right. you, got, you got a little bit of a shot. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But you're, uh, the other thing is, too, and I know that Roger doesn't like to hear because Kapler's not one of his favorites, but everybody <laughs> on the Giants this year, from Posey right on now, he was hurt a little bit, but they all yeah. played over and above their heads. I mean, they all had the, yeah. you, you almost all had career years. I mean, it's hard to believe. Right. How this group of people could come together and every one of them have a pretty much career year. Right. That's right. It's beauty of well, you know, sports, I'll man. Tell you, what, you know what else is interesting? Uh, I have to give them some credit as far as player personnel goes. Did you see who's playing uh, first base for the Giants? Darren yeah. Ruff. Was a, okay. Was I was a big fan of Darren Ruff when he was with the Phillies. I think they screwed him up. Just like they did, uh, you know, Scott, uh, the second baseman we talked about last week. Uh, and But I think that, uh, you know, he went to Korea. The Dodgers mm-hmm. had him, and they sold his contract to Korea. I didn't had, had no idea how that works. But he was there for, I think, three years, and uh, mm-hmm. he's like 33 years old. And uh, he's really put together some good numbers, and they give him a uh, – I think Buster Posey's the one that gave him a lot of credit for where they are. And also the mm. former Met, who, you know, he's played the league nine years now. And uh, when, you know, exactly what you're talking about. When they have to have another first baseman, he, he can play third or first. But he's played right. a lot of first base, not so much any third. But uh, he's, had a, he's had a very, very adequate year for, you know, this year. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, well, Ruff played some uh, left field, and he had one game in right field. But I always just – I really liked him when he was with the Phillies. I thought he was really going to be a good player because he had a great minor league uh, career, just like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Hoskins did. But the uh, I'm glad that he uh, has a chance to uh, uh, to win something. I really am. I mean, you know, you got to give the guy credit to go to Korea and play uh, there for three years. Yep, I think no he made question. a million, a million two, something like that, million and a half, the most. Doug, how about the Washington baseball team? Uh, do you see their administrative <laughs> making any uh, serious moves to win the winter now to become more competitive again, or do you think you're going to try to rejuvenate some of the players that are there right now? Yeah, I think they're obviously they have a good platform with Juan Soto and uh, you know trying to build around him, and um, you know I think they're going to have to figure out what they have in their minor leagues and, and uh, spend applicable money on potential free agents. Um, 
to remain competitive, but I, I think they're years away from – I mean, I don't think there is uh, in a situation like the Orioles were when they just, you know, purged and, and started over and said we're going to rebuild. But um, they they certainly got rid of quite a few of their players, uh, you know, that had some tenure there. So uh, they've got it, some it, work uh, to do for sure. Doug, hang on for that thought for next week. We're right up against the clock. Right to say yeah. tick-tick-tock, you know what that means. So, uh, Roger, uh, thanks for coming on. Don, always a pleasure. Doug, always Donnie, a pleasure. Don, Frank. All right, partner. Good Don, to be with you guys week, again. And uh, Frank, God thank you very much for the great job. Talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate that. Frank, for my family or family, just be safe out there. And just, just thank just thank the, for another great job, Frank, behind the thing. like thank Tom LeMay, Roy Cummings, and Dan Baker for all coming on. It was a great show this week. And most of my... Most of thanks goes to Mr. Frank Carroll and his family. God bless you and your family, Frank. And Thanks, talk man. to you next week. God bless. Look, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please make sure that they know that you know they're there. There's a very important times that many people are taking it out on people in uniform. And they really don't need that. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives and are on a duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bager, Officer David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Gazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childer, San Diego Officer Mike Kendler, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Carpenter Springs Police Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, <clears throat> Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Mike Malik, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police Department, Patrolman I'm sorry, Deputy Josh Moyers, Newcastle County, New, New, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Wilmington Police Department, Deputy Mike uh, Rodriguez, Wilmington Tell Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Charlie Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hugo, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Captain Rich, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Captain Lieutenant Art Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rays up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall solidly on your field. The sunshine lightly on your face until we meet again. May the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hallow of His hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Yeah.
Oh! 